You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. Welcome to Funk Auto Pod. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk adjacent album from that year for us to talk about. Today we are talking to Brendan Stevens of the band Overo, as well as formerly of the band Perfect Future and his solo project It Only Ends Once. Overo just put out their newest full-length album called Waiting for the End to Begin. And hands down, one of the best records of the year. Strong best of 2022 contender, for sure. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the year 2000. And the record is Tragedy's self-titled debut, Tragedy. Yeah, this is a really fun conversation. I was very happy to talk to Brendan. We have a little bit of a history with him, and we'll talk about that at the beginning of the episode, so check that out there if you want to you can head over to our patreon and for one dollar you get access to all of our bonus audio this week we are doing a chart dive on the year 2000 we've done a chart dive recently but we haven't covered 2000 before that usually means we didn't have time to prep anything yep (laughs) this week did not allow us to do anything else yeah so uh yeah chart dive of the year 2000 over on patreon.com slash punklottopod for $1, you get access to all of the bonus audio. Literally all of it. As many hours as you want. Sign up, un- unsubscribe, and you can still download everything for a month. So do that if you want. But if you're interested in a little bit more, for $10, you can choose what album we talk about. So basically, you get free reign to decide what album we're going to devote an entire episode to. So that's on the Patreon, at Punk Lotto Pod. You know, okay, I was thinking of this, and I will... I'll talk this through with you right now as we're recording this intro. I'm thinking about doing a drawing for the Patreon where everyone who has signed up for the $1 tier will be entered in a drawing to get a free $10 episode where you get to pick the record. What do you think about that, Dylan? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Why not? This goes up June 1st. That way you get the maximum entire month to sign up. So yeah, we'll do that for the entire month of June. Everyone who signs up for the $1 tier, you'll be entered in a drawing for the $10 tier where you get that episode selected for free. You just only have to be in the month of June. You don't even have to keep it after June. That that $10 that $10 episode, the, the one you select, will be in the main feed. So, yeah, we'll run that through June, and then we'll pick a winner in July. And and if you're already a patron at the $1 tier, you're automatically entered. Like, you've, you've, you've been in it. So, there we go. That seems like a fun idea. And then you can follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at PunkLottoPod, PunkLottoPodGmail.com, voicemail 202-688-PUNK, and the substack, PunkLottoPod.substack.com. I think that's everything, and uh, enjoy the show. Fight! 
We are joined here today by Brendan Stevens of the band Overo. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. So I wanted to bring this up, and I didn't want to say it in the email originally because I kind of wanted to see, just throw this out here. So we have actually met before. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so A long time ago. Yeah, I, I found <laughs> it too. Way back June 23rd, 2010. Okay. At the Heartbeat Gallery in Mooresville, North Carolina. Whoa. You... <laughs> I still think about those sh- those shows, and I was, they were not well attended, so that is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the listeners, uh, it was your previous band, Perfect Future, and mm-hmm. uh, supposed to be reaching away yes. on that tour, but they had unfortunately <laughs> had to drop. Can, oh, can I tell my favorite Heartbeat Gallery story? Oh, yeah? Go ahead. Yeah, it was basically just the... I can't remember the name, the names of the people that that were there, but the, the the lady and husband who owned it. I remember, like we stayed with them after that show. Oh wow! And we were talking about bands and stuff, and then the the guy was like, "Hey, well, I'm actually joining the Marine Corps pretty soon," and I I was all in band mode and i thought the marine corps was like a hardcore band and so i was like yeah i've never heard of them and he just like looked at me like i was the stupidest person that ever existed because i'd never heard of the marine corps is that like an like an isis post-metal kind of band yeah no i think about that all the time oh god that's hilarious so the other band playing that show, there was a band called Oddzar, who was a Charlotte band mm-hmm. who we actually became friends with, and mm-hmm. we played. We yeah. were we were in the uh, I guess we were the first band maybe. Yeah, Cinder we and Smoke. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you don't remember this just because <laughs> I don't remember the songs, but like I I, I do remember those shows and the, like it was such a cool space. But yeah, yeah. like I said, it wasn't particularly well attended. Um, but I'm used to like kind of those weird. I mean, I I grew up in a very small town, so mm-hmm. like I'm for me like a great space with like 10 people there it's like that's that's normal (laughs) that was such an interesting space because it was an art gallery but it was in a garage Mm -hmm. and it was basically in a big complex that was basically a bunch of garages for nascar teams (laughs) oh i didn't realize that was what everything else was (laughs) because because i lived like i lived like 20 minutes away from there my parents lived like a little bit further west from there but and it 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 always struck me as such a weird place and we'd been to multiple shows there and they were always really pretty poorly attended because it was so out of the way mm-hmm. and such a weird location like they really tried and and it was really cool that they did that that they were like we're gonna have an art gallery we're gonna have a punk venue let's find a cheap space to do it but hey it, and i like i said like i mean for me i i, I consider those successful shows i still look fondly on that but it's just like certainly like yeah it was a it was off the beaten path for sure (laughs) yeah because i actually went and found let's see i'm trying to think of what i think it was like a a message board posting that someone either you someone in either probably you or either someone in reaching away posted like Mm -hmm. the tour dates it was and Mm -hmm. it was like really long tour like i was shocked at how long that went (laughs) Yeah, Perfect Future, like, you know, that's like the band when you're, I mean, I was either a senior in college or straight out of college, and like, uh, I was like, yeah, what's, you know, what could be better than being on the road for like 60 days, Um, (laughs) and I don't know if I can do that anymore. (laughs) 
two yeah. weeks is i'm like that's like the perfect amount for me now <laughs> yeah yeah it it showed it was like you played chapel hill then it had charlotte listed but that's where the mooresville show came in mm-hmm. and then the other one was like Asheville, and i was like wow three nc shows in a row and i'm sure they were all roughly the same amount of people showed up <laughs> uh, i mean i didn't know what i was doing i was just uh yeah perfect future was like i mean that was that band opened up like a lot of doors for me because like i said i was very rural appalachian punk like in, in western maryland but like uh you know it much more closer to west virginia i was like i drive 15 minutes in three directions and i was in west virginia and so like getting linked up within a scene and then just like just pure grit and stuff like yeah it opened up a lot of doors even though we were never the biggest band on like a record label or anything like that but i think some of that might have so i've only recently like i moved to houston five years ago and that was the first time i was like in a band in a city and it was just like oh people come to us like come to us and we can just like a cool show will happen and we can just hop on. I'm like, Oh, this makes so much more sense than like (laughs) begging bands to come to Frostburg, Maryland. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was our whole like, "Uh, Hey, we have a, there's a coffee shop that'll let us book shows. Hey, do you want to come play a show here in, in our, in our town? And just like, we have a, like two local bands that'll play every single show. (laughs) Yeah. I, I still kind of like, I romanticize those scenes a lot, like, you know, whenever just like being on the road and passing some through some town I've never seen before, but has, you know, you're driving on the highway. I'm like, there's got to be some punks there doing something. And it's probably cool. Or at least, you know, every show is going to have the same 30 people because it's everyone in town who likes (laughs) this type of music. Uh, And that's kind of cool as well. (laughs) I, I wonder if you've probably seen this more than we have, but like, I wonder if. It feels like back then, you know, this is what twelve years ago at this point. Yeah, there seemed to be more kind of local scenes, like for the really small mm. towns. And I feel like a lot of that's died down. I don't know if it's just maybe like where we live, where I live currently. It's just it's dead as far as a local mm. scene goes. But I don't know. It's interesting because I don't I don't know how active. Like I don't know. Basically, my idea, my statement is like, uh, are high schoolers still really starting bands like they used to? I don't know my sense so so john from overo is probably the person for this because he's much more well connected he's just a fan of music in general um whereas i'm just like only interested in like punk and metal uh (laughs) but i mean it there was during that like mid-2000s i mean rock guitar-based music was mainstream Mm -hmm. um and that doesn't seem to be the case so much anymore and it's it, it and to some extent i think some of it might be just the fact that the ease to create music and be an artist uh with you could do it all on an ipad or on your phone um now if you're not in a like a traditional type of band which has like a whole monetary issue of like okay well we need to find a drummer and drums are expensive and they take up a lot of space it just seems like if you wanted to be a musician and create music, it'd be very easy to create loops, to create beats, to create like, you know, just like I mean, a bedroom metal band or something like that, rather than the kind of stuff that we grew up on. And I think, yeah, yeah I think it kind of goes hand in hand with like the ease of act. It's easier to be a musician now without spending 
$500 on an amp coupled with the sort of like, well, rock and roll. Like, like, I mean, there were a period of time where like a metal musician would be dating a pop star that where, I mean, it didn't get much bigger than like, I mean, there were some really, really, really big, cool punk bands. And uh, it doesn't seem like guitar based music is mainstream anymore. Um, but like I, I, I was always kind of more drawn to like the weirder side of punk anyway. So um, it doesn't really impact me personally so much. <laughs> just more of like the, the that's just like a cultural sort of observation that maybe is like totally flawed. <laughs> well, that actually kind of brings to mind too, like in my head, like, you know how many artists, like, especially if you look like the indie scene specifically or like the mm-hmm. DIY stuff a good chunk of the, like the big names in there are like one person projects that like yeah. they it was a bedroom recording originally before they did anything else before they even mm-hmm. formed like a band to mm-hmm. go on tour with so that's probably real that's probably is what it is cuz now cuz when we were starting up it was more of like the only way to write songs and pl- record stuff is to have three four five people in a room playing together mm-hmm. and then you're like you're already playing together so then you just want to play more play out play live shows you want people to see it mm-hmm. so yeah i guess it is a little it makes it it makes it hard to break through still because you know you don't have that live element but mm-hmm. the recording part and getting it out there is a little easier yeah and the the whole thing with like the ease of access that the internet ha- has created to like get songs out onto spotify and stuff it becomes a little bit more like who can who can get through um and create a splash with a a, like maybe even just one song that uh rather than the like uh the grind it all out on just playing a million shows doesn't matter how poorly attended it is uh so yeah i I don't know things seem to be changing uh, a good bit and I, i i i'm trying not to be uh an old man about it and say that it's worse <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just different <laughs> i mean i would say a benefit to it is you don't like you that grinding out isn't really there so maybe the mm. longevity is more stable mm. you know i don't know yeah yeah b- perhaps and i mean a- another change i've been seeing um is just that uh i mean there are a lot of uh shows that like you know v- vera will play a show with a band that might be mostly like 10 years younger than us, you know, people in their twenties and stuff. Um, and we're still like in that mindset of like an LP should be $10. Um, <laughs> and like these younger people, like they're doing tours that seem much more sustainable. Cause they're, they're charging basically what like, you know, a converge or like a bigger band. Like you go, you go to a, you know, a band on death wish and they'll be selling a, a hoodie for 45, 50 bucks. And like, in my mind, I'm like, we're a DIY band. Everything should be like razor thin margins that like (laughs) (laughs) you're, you're hoping you can, uh, I don't know, just to like, just to break even. But there's like, you know, I I think it's like probably good for the long, like these people on these, like these younger people on DIY tours that like, yeah, maybe, maybe a $10 seven inch, uh, you know, you sell half as many, but you still make as much as if you're doing the five dollar seven inch um i don't know except for you know you can sell more of them i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah 
yeah, it's, it's still true, I, it's still very hard to tell because everyone's everyone's still kind of like cagey about accounting. They don't want to. <laughs> no one wants to be that band that gets yelled at on the internet for like, oh, we toured in a you know some like super expensive like <laughs> what was that sprinter one? sprinter van or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually landlords, and you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen with the average, you know. DIY band, but everyone, yeah, everyone's still like, should mm, we keep that to ourselves? Yeah, you know, what what do things actually cost? I mean, I, I like, I mean, I, I'm, it's something that I've, I've thought about recently with just like you know Fugazi with the five dollar cover and like you know that was like in the '90s and I still am like five dollar cover is perfect and <laughs> uh, it's like you know what's the would that be like $15 now? Like, I don't know you know, by now, but it's certainly not $5, which is what I, I feel is the appropriate amount, but definitely is not given, uh, all of this. And also I've never, I'm not in Fugazi that like, can, you know, pack a, uh, a huge like room and make money on $5. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, or even the equi- or the thing that we used to see or like even do ourselves where it's just like, just pay what you can. You know, like yep. that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect Future had a whole lot of like, you know, uh, it's like, wow, this room is full. How much do we make? Like $3 and like loose cigarettes. And it's like, <laughs> none of us smoke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't set a hard price before people could come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's still, I feel like that still is a valid thing to do. I think that creating music, especially when you're coming at music from like a punk perspective, and if you're anyone who has been informed by Fugazi at all, like yeah. there's like, there's something that's countercultural and anti-capitalist and has value in saying like, we're going to let people in, like we're going to make this accessible to people regardless mm-hmm. of their income or, you know, where they are in life and what they can afford and i think that's i think that's still something that's very commendable oh no i i'm i i'm still here for it and that's like mm-hmm. how I, I how i pretty much all of my stuff you know is that way but like i feel like i'm if we're talking like cultural shifts in punk i feel like you're seeing younger people and they're like like bands that are like people in their 20s will have the like they're not doing the free band camp downloads you yeah. know <laughs> yeah and I mean, that's, you know, I've, I feel like the, it swings, it swings the other way too, right? Like it's totally like, it's, it's your art and you can decide what to do with it and you can set the price for it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you did the work, so you decide what it's worth. I mean, that, I feel like that's also still pretty anti-capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's very pro labor. Like I know what yeah. I'm worth, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, just like me at work, I'm like, that's not my job. Exactly. <laughs> Am I getting an extra tip out for that, or what's the deal? <laughs> or you can work for a corporate job like me, and it's uh, you don't really get to decide what you do and don't do. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're expected to do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about Overo a little bit. Uh, we we spent a long time just talking about <laughs> DIY music in general, which is which is yeah. fun. I'm always down for that conversation. But so the band just released a new full length album, "Waiting for the End to Begin." And the record is incredible, and it's probably my favorite Overa record I've heard so far. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How's the feedback been for it? Really incredible. Um, it, it certainly feels like one of the records that I've uh, 
done that has just had the most positive things to say from, you know, whether it's reviewers or just people like um, reaching out, like old friends that like, or like just really, really responding well to it. Um, and, it, you know, it feels, feels great. Like I'm kind of used to throwing things out into the void and then just like having that like serotonin blip for like a couple of days and then it's long gone. Um, this has been a little bit more sustained than that. <laughs> yeah. There's, Cause there's what there's the, uh, everybody always says it's like the album cycle now is everything leading up to the actual album coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we like, and this is also something that's been a long time coming. We, we, we had the usual amounts of um, like delays from the pressing plant and then, issues getting uh the covers and stuff so i mean the songs i mean most of it was written like straight up right during the beginning like uh, i mean it's a very much a pandemic written record Mm -hmm. we were like the only people that we were our bubble was just the four of us um and so we wrote those songs and we recorded them probably in 2021 um and then you know just gain every gain through all those manufacturing delays and stuff like yeah it's been a long time coming (laughs) yeah i was curious if it was if it was one of those records too they like it was done last year but well we gotta wait for it to come out but we and we recorded uh those songs at the same time we did the split lp uh another year in hell same same session and then uh basically after we written so many overos records that's when we did that like tobiano release which was just like hey if so overo i'm gonna gonna mess this up i think but i think overo is a brown horse with white spots and then tobiano is a white horse with brown spots we're like let's do a uh like an ep that has no distortion and is very much uh like i play i mostly play piano on that um and that was all written and recorded while this waiting for the end to begin was being pressed and it came out before <laughs> I, I was gonna ask about that release because I, I remember i listened to that when it came out too and i was like wow this is a very different direction so what what inspired that uh, so it's solely that um you know we were just talking about well what what do we do especially if this is going to take uh over a year to press and get these songs out into the world i mean i was a little bit like i you know i, I so I, I basically came to the band with a few different things, and I was like, here, here are the options. We continue to write Overo albums, and then we get like a second LP in the tank yeah. <laughs> or something. We do something crazy like a covers album for, or just like record a bunch of one-off stuff for splits with, that haven't even been talked about. Um, we just take some time off and, uh, or do some sort of weird side project thing, even though it would just be us and that was kind of the one we decided to go with um but yeah uh mercy in particular her philosophy is is she always wants to play whatever the most recent material is and so she worried that if we kept writing a bunch of overo stuff that like by the time the album came out it's like well who even want we don't even want to play these songs anymore <laughs> <laughs> so Tobiano was just a yes, totally like okay. Let's do something totally different, and uh, you know, it, it, it was probably just being a bit too clever, being like, okay, it'll be a different band, but the same members, and we're gonna instead of being a band that is 
like distorted and screamy there'll be there'll be no screaming there'll be no distortion like it'll be slow uh yeah (laughs) yeah i've seen a lot of bands have done the you mentioned the like you recorded an album a year ago and you're Mm -hmm. like well we've already got another one ready Uh, like Mm -hmm. we've talked to a few people who are like yeah we've got another one done already and we're ready ready to go for it it's just like (laughs) That, that is you're right it is gonna be weird whenever like you start to kind of like yes yeah, shows are kind of back now but like when people mm-hmm. are really going and playing out it's like well now i have all these other new songs and then like nobody's seen these other ones live now but mm-hmm. i'm tired of them you know <laughs> yeah i have to go relearn the lp that we finished two years ago to be able to play the songs <laughs> yeah the ones that people want to hear now because yeah. they're all fresh <laughs> Especially yeah. if you're, if especially if your band has a lot of growth. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, being like, oh, well, we're more of a shoegaze band now, but we're still <laughs> playing our hardcore stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then like, I guess the idea too of just being like, well, we could take a break. Well, that a lot of times when bands take breaks, that's the end of the band because they're just mm-hmm. like, life gets in the way. You start doing other things, and you forget to come back to it. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a unique way of uh, keeping it keeping active yet not like burning up a bunch of potential material yeah and for me so i'm a, i'm a writer and i don't i don't see people besides my like wife like i yeah. so i just wanted a reason to leave the house like <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like we have to keep playing that's the thing because so it's the one scheduled event i have where i see other people <laughs> and two, like throw in throw in like you put out the Tobiano, you've got the new Overo record, like there's a new Football Etc. EP that just came out too. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's <laughs> staying busy. You you actually have yeah. another project too. Uh, yeah. That's your solo project and it, mm-hmm. uh, that is called It Only Ends Once. Yeah, that's my Black Gaze one man uh, project. Um, and yeah, yeah, I have, a, I have an EP in the tank that I'm like just waiting to release but I'm just like trying to not clog. <laughs> I'm like, if football, etc., Tobiano, we did, Overo did that split LP not too long ago. Yeah. I think it was this, this year. And then we just did this LP. I'm like, I'll wait a little bit to release that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it only ends once is, uh, is, it's really fun for me because it's, uh, it's a very different form of way of writing. And just like, I was, everything I've done, uh, almost every album I've written has been very much in the like, uh, it, it is very punk in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the first like even when I'm like you know it's it's more indie or quiet. It's like coming from like a punk lens. Um, and this one's kind of taking more of the like atmospheric, uh, black gaze, black metal type of stuff. Um, which so this is something John told me. Uh, John from Overo, he he was just like he's like. Black metal is just uh, screamo in the woods, and I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And I don't know. I think uh, uh, I've I've thought about that a lot, and just kind of like the difference between what like kind of a metal uh, approach where it's focused more on like virtuoso sort of. approach uh to music where if if someone can play you know piano you should play piano like show off like show off all the uh, the elements of your artistic expression as possible whereas punk is more like you know 
piano that's not punk or you know <laughs> or if you, if you have like a synthesizers and stuff it'll be like gimmicky like I'm, uh, so i think this band's great um and and gets uh but like horse the band versus like neurosis like they both have like keyboard players but like <laughs> people think of horse the band as being like kind of hokey but neurosis is just like legendary um so i don't know uh, like it only ends once coming from a uh, with me trying to very much right even though it, like there's a lot of screamo in there there's a lot of hardcore and a lot of um and a lot of the the riffs i'm usually like playing like emo chords tremolo um but i see it as more of a metal type of project where i'm just like trying to if if i want to include synthesizers or i want to include anything I, I i go for it rather than just try to be like okay strip down what's what's only necessary i, I feel like metal even though metal also, like, punk and metal also, they do that thing where they have their, like, strict set of rules about what is and what isn't, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're getting, like, into the more scene-type stuff. Yeah. But I also feel like sometimes metal is more embracing of the experimental stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I feel, Neurosis being, like, a legendary band, but they're also quite mm-hmm. experimental, especially compared to, like, yeah. what else was coming out at the time. And, like, to me, a metal band throwing in keys or synths now, it's, like cool it's just like another thing whereas you're right with punk it's kind of like well is that your gimmick like is are you that kind of band you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah are, yeah are you you're oh you're a synth band yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just uh you know the, just a, a different way of i mean i think one of the like the blessings of the type of being very self-taught in my uh songwriting is that like I'm I'm not like good at hearing something and like uh, being able to recreate it. So like I feel as if a, a lot of my music, no matter, I've written in different genres, but I feel like it always kind of sounds like a Brendan band. I'm not one of those people who can just be like I'm gonna be exactly. This is going to be a clone of you know Neurosis or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know I, I, to some extent it's like uh. I, I, I don't know. I, I just find find that to be interesting because I have some friends who are like who are so much who are more talented and better at, at musicians than me, and they're very. It's very easy for them to be like, "Oh, I want to write a Ben Folds type of song," and then it just sounds like Ben Folds, and it's like, "Wow, that's incredible." <laughs> if I tried to do that, it would just probably sound kind of sad and sound like me playing piano in general rather than <laughs> me doing another person's thing. <laughs> Yeah, you could always be like, "Yeah, this was my this is my uh, this is my uh, Thin Lizzy inspired song," and they're just like, "Yeah, mm, just sounds just like uh, your other stuff." <laughs> yeah, it, it'll it'll it'd be that, but it would just have more harmonized guitars. Right. <laughs> the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I'd say that's a good trait to have, though, too, because then you're not you're less likely to like for people to hear something you do and go, "Ah, that's just a knockoff." So, mm-hmm. that's that's a positive trait to have <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, the Overa record is available from quite a few different labels. Uh, in the United States, Middleman Records. Uh, let's see what else. I wrote down the others. Uh, strictly no capital letters in the UK. Pundonor in Spain and mm-hmm. Zilp Zalp in Denmark. I think that's all the labels. Germany, but uh, yeah, because oh, D-E. D- yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the abbreviation in, in yeah, yeah. German is yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I got ESP for Spain, but I missed that. Yeah. One. No, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you can get the rest of the... I'm, we can get everything through 
the Overo Bandcamp, right? Yeah, yeah. We have everything that's available that we have, but uh, yeah, those are the we've been working with those labels in general. So uh, if people are, um, you know, in the UK, strictly no capital letters has pretty much everything, and Pundinor has all of our stuff in Spain. Um, so yeah, good. Yeah, so everybody can get a hold of that stuff there. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's get into the rest of the show then. So, the basic premise of the show is we assign our guests a year and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk adjacent album from that year for us to talk about. And before we get to the album you selected, we gave you the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> why don't we go through some of the records you, you were considering s- selecting for the episode? Sick. Okay, so I have uh, five that were real top contenders. Um, so um, probably the one that is like, it, it, maybe this should be the one that I actually picked because it's the album that actually got me into punk would be AFI's The Art of Drowning. Hmm. Um, before that, and I, like, I'm not joking, I only listened to Weird Al. Like, <laughs> I was not interested in any other music. <laughs> Um, and then my brother like got the art of drowning and it was like the first thing that like, you know, I mean, I I was in middle school at the time, but like he had gotten his driver's license and that was like what we would listen to was he was dropping me off. And, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And through AFI, I got into all the other punk bands that like my brother liked and then, you know, quickly then started getting real weird and liking all sorts of other stuff. But, um, so Art of Drowning is like a record I listen to still, um, usually just like in the, like when it starts like getting close to Halloween, I feel a little spooky, um, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, like AFI is a band and Art of Drowning is a record I'll always love, but it's like not a hundred percent like where my heart is at all, at all the times. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, is there a point where you stop? Like, is there a point in AFI's discography where you fell off, or are you one of the people who, like, stuck with them all, like, all the way through? Um, I fell off a couple of times, and then I get back on. Yeah. Like, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't so into December Underground, but right. then, like, I felt like it was too poppy, and then, like, I, I, I don't know, uh, uh, eventually I started being like, ooh, it's like, it's a fun poppy record, like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they got gothy again, and then they got, like, kind of hard rock, so it, it, I like AFI for 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 what they are, not like who I wish they would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the traits of AFI that are there. They'll always be there, you know. Like mm-hmm. Davy's always going to sound like Davy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> even if like the production is now super slick and the type of thing you could just hear on the radio, but yet mm-hmm. still don't, which is funny too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I also thought about uh, God's Bleed You Back emperor's uh lift your skinny fist and that actually might be i mean that again that should also be a record i strongly consider um i mean for practical reasons and this is something i i, I mean i even mentioned to y'all in an email was like well what do you do you just excerpt you know two minutes of a 20 minute long song and it's just <laughs> one riff uh i don't think it would, i hope someday someone get does this record justice because it's like you know a masterpiece uh but at the same time i i, I felt like I'm like this would be a, a difficult record to really um go into and an excerpt and yeah mm-hmm. just yeah we um 
we did there's a the silver mount zion record that we did with the members of the band closer and mm. um so there's a little commonality that like some screamo emo bands like talking yeah. about uh <laughs> these uh canadian french french canadian right they're from montreal yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> post rock bands mm-hmm. um and yeah that was the hard part of like putting that episode together i was like how much song do i play because if i only do my usual like minute 30 then mm. it's like well that's the intro uh yep <laughs> it, it, like that you might not have even gotten to the music yet right it might just be like just <laughs> you know build up yeah um i mean a couple of screamo records that like uh were also on that list of, of albums i wanted to do either uh orchids dance tonight revolution tomorrow um or page 99 document five both just both those records really, really hold up. Um, you know, they they still sound, um, you know, they still sound fresh to me. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I listen to those records quite a bit. Um, even though uh, I, I I tend to listen to Orchid's self title, uh, like the Gatefold LP, and uh, later Page Ninety Nine a little bit more, but I still back those records real hard yeah document number five is one of my that's five and seven are my favorite page 99 records i think mm. is there, there's something so special about them <laughs> it, it, it's before they started having like well i, I i'm like I, I think the document five was like they still only had two guitarists and they only had one bassist so it's like still <laughs> yeah they hadn't exploded with having so many members yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah the yeah where it's like there's because I got to see them at, when they did those like handful of reunion shows, mm-hmm. and and I saw them in Richmond, and of course being the hometown, they were like, "Yep, everybody's here," and it was it was like twelve <laughs> people on the stage or something like that. It was nuts. That's that's what you, that's what you you go for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the my friend always tells the story about how like he saw like page ninety nine at some like house show in like Greensboro or something during this mm-hmm. time period. And he said that, uh, yeah, they blew the breakers like three times because there was just so much equipment in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Hockley did that to me whenever they played my my basement. It was <laughs> at, at one point I was like, do you think you could play through like like half of your amps? And like, I don't know if it's worth it at that point. And <laughs> uh, um, Hockley, I, what, we actually had John and is it, is it? Garrett. Garrett. Yeah, Garrett. Garrett. Yeah. We had them on the show around when yeah. the, the calyx record was out so. yeah great people um i have one more record um and uh which would be weaker than's left and leaving oh um, yeah i i really so the reason i didn't choose that one was mostly just because like the weaker than's is a band that like you know i've been listening to for ages and i i know a lot of lyrics but like uh it's just like one of those bands that like I, I like I put on by I, I never I'm like oh it's John K Sampson but like I don't know a lot about them hmm. I never saw them they're just a band that I really enjoy and put on when the time's right um, but I'm like I don't know if I could if I could nerd out over it as much as a lot of people. <laughs> the Weaker yeah. Thans are a, a band that I feel like it could be hard. Depending on who you're talking to, I guess, but it could mm-hmm. be hard to talk about a weaker than's record without immediately kind of like jumping into the deep end of like <laughs> all the 
the extremely personal significance of like mm-hmm. of those records or those or specific mm-hmm. songs and it's like this that might be inaccessible to the average listener who's like well i've never heard a weaker than's record so like mm-hmm. tell me and then i'm just like and he says on this one lyric and that just means <laughs> so much like, to me and like it's like eh, all right that's it's like i i burned that song onto a cdr i gave to this girl i had a crush on like yeah <laughs> It is funny that the weaker thans like they have that like the people who love that band it's just like they love that band and there is like a deep personal connection to them and it is there is no way to like really like talk about them without being like this is their significance to me but also mm-hmm. that also feels very weaker thans at the same time <laughs> like that's yeah. how those lyrics are really you know yeah. deeply personal hyper specific uh mm-hmm. And then just, you know, John K. Samson himself as a person is just this, he's an amazing individual just to like read and hear about just because it's like, oh, well, yeah, he wrote a song for his library and you know, he'll <laughs> he'll only play a show if you send him a postcard. It's like, he's just, it's mm-hmm. such a unique individual, but yeah. <clears throat> so I'm definitely not the person, but I, I you know, I I mean, I, I really took this assignment seriously. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, I was like only listen to music from the 2000 from the year 2000 for like two weeks um and i was like which ones got me like really pumped and that that record was definitely one of them dylan why don't you uh, give us a quick uh cliff notes what else was 2000 uh in music for punks 2000 is really interesting um uh, i mean the the records that have been mentioned are are a really good overview but it's also like we have like hives. We have mm-hmm. um, late Green Day, um, relationship of command by At the Drive-In. That's probably one of the one of the biggest records of the year for sure. Um, in terms of like cultural impact and like long term popularity, um, we've got Slater Kinney. We've got late period Discord stuff from Barraquet. Kind of Discord entering its like full on weirdo. Um, <laughs> phase, but also like M records, you know, <laughs> starting starting to build up into that like uh, the there's a Lamb of God record too. Um, so like getting into that mid two thousands like height of uh, alternative music, um, punk and the punk and goth and emo and and metalcore mm-hmm. stuff. Um, two thousand is is really the I think the point where it starts to gain steam. I had yeah. to look up. I was like, "Did Razorblade Romance come out in 2000?" That's like a that's one that my wife and I still like troll each other with, like that him <laughs> record. Man, do you remember where when him was everywhere? Yeah, yeah. Like, that I had friends who got the heartogram, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so weird because it's like it's so like of the moment because like mm-hmm. it feels like. What year did it like? You just there's, never see anything like that again. Oh yeah, there's like a hard drop off. It's like 2007. <laughs> all him hardogram t-shirts disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just like evaporated. Like no one talked about him ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but for a short period, if you walked into literally every uh, hot topic on the planet, yeah, 
it was you have to be in your mid 30s to understand like yeah that's like definitely like one of those 90 kids only get it like it's right like, no you no one else understands him the way we do yeah. <laughs> only millennials will understand yeah <laughs> there's this girl that you have a kind of a crush on and she loves him and you're like him oh mm-hmm. <laughs> or just- there's some or some uh, like you have the friend who just way to him to ban Margera and he's gonna like yeah. put like you know he's gonna slap your your face at a sleepover because of because he loves him like uh. <laughs> also it's funny him and CKY like both of those bands were so attached to him <laughs> yeah they're like opposite ends of the spectrum too <laughs> oh man is this all gonna make it into the show. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> him talk for sure. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let's uh, let's get into the record you actually did select for us to talk about today. So, we gave you two thousand, and you selected "Tragedy" by Tragedy. on the band is is Mm -hmm. how i usually put them so tragedy were originally from memphis tennessee but then later moved to portland oregon they formed in the year 1999 this is the band's first album it was self-released on their own record label tragedy records and you could get it in germany from skuld releases and true hack in poland i don't know how uh polish people use their j's in in their words but um (laughs) It was recorded six days in six days at Polymath Studios in May of 2000. The person on the record is Billy Davis on bass and vocals, Paul Burdett on drums, Yannick Lauren, Lorraine on guitar, and Todd Burdett on guitar and vocals. And the record was recorded by Dan Rathburn, who also recorded Gauze, His Hero is Gone, From Ashes Rise, Yafet Kodo, Iron Lung, and Ceremony. Quite a reputation there. Mm-hmm. It is worth mentioning that Billy played in From Ashes Rise, and Todd, Paul, and Yannick all played in His Hero Is Gone. And various combinations of these members would also play in a lot of other Tennessee area bands. Um, These are guys who went back a long time with each other. And uh, it's interesting that From Ashes Rise were also a Tennessee band, and he transplanted to Portland separate from this band, I think, is part of how that story went. I don't know. It's it's hard to find details about... (laughs) them as people but um we'll get into the yeah. more about that later but yeah i love that mythology of uh, like because yeah i mean i mean this all happened in like 99 or something but just mm-hmm. the fact that like a bunch of friends from this kind of specific memphis scene all just moved to portland i don't know did someone get a job? Did someone find a partner? <laughs> Did they just all like find some great vegan food like on a tour once and just like <laughs> I don't I don't know. 
I, I love that they're, and I, I kind of don't want to know. I, I think one of the cool things about tragedy is like, is the fact that they're, they always were like mysterious without like necessarily trying to be mysterious to be cool. It's just like, they didn't want to do interviews. So they didn't do interviews. They like, they had done stuff with his heroes gone, like on other record labels. And like, well, we could just do this ourselves. And it worked. They, there's just like the one press photo, which is just the photo from the back of the LP. And that's like the one picture you can find of them where they're like posed. And it's just them hanging out. Um, yeah, I, it, I like that they're a band that like, it, that there's that element of like anonymity mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't think you really find too much anymore unless someone's like going out of their way to make that like a part of the brand. But like tragedy doesn't feel like that's like a part of the brand. It just seems like they didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It felt like they didn't want to put the effort into being like, well, like they didn't want a website. There's no website. They didn't want, mm-hmm. they didn't want a MySpace Cause that was an important part of the early days of tragedy. And mm-hmm. yeah, they were just like, ah, we don't want to do any of that shit. Let's just, mm-hmm. let's just play shows and write records. Love it. <laughs> especially going back to like what we were talking about way back when like the 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 cultural shift of punk like this is very different time and i, I and like this is like um you know you know my, like myspace w- was like a huge deal but like they could they could get by on just doing shows just touring just putting out records um which i think it, it certainly helps that they were in his heroes gone who had their own reputation and everything but uh yeah i just think that's uh, like unrelated to the music i think that's a pretty special thing about tragedy that's certainly worth mentioning yeah so the first thing i usually like to ask is uh what made you choose this album for us to talk about oh it's just great (laughs) like (laughs) um i mean so tragedy i think is interesting because like like i was saying they you know they're coming from his hero is gone uh primarily and from ashes rise but like they kind of arrive onto the scene fully formed as a band they don't like the first release is this is a full length. It's not a seven inch or something, which especially at that period of time, like bands within the like crusty, like hardcore scene, much more like you would do like two splits, an EP and then two more splits and then finally an LP. Um, and they just kind of arrive fully formed. And it's just, it's, it's a little different than he's heroes gone, which has that like, um, which I think sounds like they his heroes gone seem more focused, you know, sh- shorter songs having, you know, but like uh, tragedy seemed more focused on like a melodic element and also just being like we're gonna have uh, lots of acoustic guitar intros and we're gonna have like dark sounding pianos and you know samples and stuff on it. Uh, yeah, just like from beginning to end, like this sounds like a band that's been together for like years and years and this would be their magnum opus and it's just the first thing they put out <laughs> yeah i was that here his hero is gone it was funny like i didn't realize that so i in my head i, I actually did kind of have these bands kind of lumped together like i had his heroes mm-hmm. gone tragedy and from ashes rise all like mentally like grouped together and like to the point where i was like i'm not a huge crust person so like my mm-hmm. knowledge was always just like are those the same bands? Like in my brain, like I'm never (laughs) sure which is which, you know? Yeah. And it actually now makes 100% sense now. I'm like, oh, because it literally is the same people. Yeah. (laughs) In those three bands. (laughs) 
And then you throw in the likes of like, so like gauze, I always threw in. I'm like, okay, I know gauze. They're the Japanese mm-hmm. one. Like that's the main yeah. difference. But even then it's like having the same guy, like record all of those bands too. Mm. It's just like, well, yeah, that makes this, it makes the sound not uniform, but like have a, a consistency across all the bands. Which that's even, something I, I was thinking about was just like how, uh, I mean, again, it's a first record, but like, these records productions wise like just sound still so thick they sound so heavy so fast like i don't know i feel like uh with a lot of the music i listen to if i was gonna say like what are the best sounding records like um i feel like even like i would i would start looking for something newer but like if i was in a band if i was in one of those countless tragedy clone bands i would just be like just just do exactly try to make it sound as much like this because it just sounds perfect to me. Um, just it, like like the perfect amount of rawness and heaviness, but also it, it it's clean enough that it doesn't just sound like a wash or like it was poorly mixed. It, like clearly a lot of um, some people, the mixing was done with a really good ear as well. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, usually I throw this your way. What, uh, what are your uh, thoughts or feelings on the band Tragedy before you listened to the record for this show. Um, I knew what they sounded like for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew they were a band that I have enjoyed hearing in the past, but they weren't someone that I spent really significant amount of time with. Um, I did not know anything about them as people, mm-hmm. which makes sense because they just didn't talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they were like the, the exact template for the mysterious guy, uh, hardcore mm-hmm. band, but I definitely thought they were European for a really long time. <laughs> I did not think that they were uh, from U.S. Uh, mm. I definitely did not think that they had members of His Hero Is Gone um, <laughs> or from any bands that I would have known. I thought that they were just like one of those European bands that always existed. <laughs> um, this record sounds like it's a Euro crust band that's always existed. Like, I, I mean, just... Talking about Fult being, you know, a band that arrives fully formed, like, I put it on and I'm like, yeah, that's like, that's a band. <laughs> that's a band that's been doing this for a while, which, if it's all, you know, which makes a lot of sense when you consider it's like all of these people who have this rapport with each other have been playing music with each other for a really long time. Like, it makes sense that they, they really didn't lose any, any stride in changing locations and, you know, changing band names, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, com- complete misconceptions. Like no, no real information on them prior to doing this episode. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, huh? How weird? Oh, oh there's three members of his hero is gone. Yeah. Who I also did not know was from Tennessee. I'm like, oh, his hero is gone. They're like from New York, right? Or like, they're a Canadian man, right? I'm just like, imme- like making that connection to like who they influenced. You know, like, oh, they're a huge influence on Curse, so, like, they must have come from the same scene or something. <laughs> nope, not at all. I think I think it's very funny. Like, I I don't listen to Tragedy and I go, yeah, that's a bunch of Southern guys. Like, yeah. a bunch of Tennessee guys from Memphis. And Murfreesboro, I think, was where one of the other bands they were in was, like, tagged as. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't get that at all. Yeah. But in a way, it does make sense, because if you've ever been to Asheville or Johnson City, there is a very active crust punk scene in those cities. So, mm-hmm. southern cities, yes, but 
crust finds a way, I guess is really what we're trying to say. <laughs> Always does. <laughs> and I mean, I guess there's, you know, the crust is crust everywhere. I mean, it's the same mentality everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you could be like a German crust. You're going to ride trains too. I don't know. <laughs> you just maybe don't have to like actually jump onto moving trains. You can just take the train. <laughs> favorite things like mm-hmm. a whole band moves to an entirely new city especially on like the opposite side of the country too is really funny mm-hmm. and it reminds me too of there was like a north carolina band called zagoda who were like an anarchist sort of punk band punk screamo mm-hmm. band and the entire band moved to sweden like from Whoa. like greensboro <laughs> north carolina to sweden which was just like wild they were like a they were like a crime think band yeah i'm I'm just wondering how they got like the the immigration. Like, right. do you, you, you get someone to sponsor you? That do they all get different sponsors? Did... <laughs> I can definitely see it being like one person got in, and then he's just like, "Hey, just come live with me, and you'll be you just yeah. be an illegal immigrant. <laughs> we'll just be squatters in yeah. Sweden mm-hmm. now." Um, yeah, my my tra- that was my tragedy track too. Like, I just didn't know anything about them individually. Um, mm-hmm. So, like it. I was doing the research on this and I was like, I'm finding nothing. There's like <laughs> no interview. There's one interview I found from a blog from like a Greek blog. And it was like, they played a show in Greece and the guy was just like, Hey, ambushed them. Yeah. Can, can, you do an inter- can we do an interview? Please, please. And it was like, I get, they're like in the backyard of this guy's like house. I think, Cause I think it was a house show even. And uh, there was just probably just like, look, I'll give you food, (laughs) that kind of thing. (laughs) But even like I tried to find, so Decibel Magazine included this record on their like their Hall of Fame in 2011. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, there's got to be an article here. And so like I went, I found the article and it was like, well, we've begged the band for years to do an interview. (laughs) We've had little drips and drabs of like conversation like even like one of the biggest presses magazines from heavy and loud music like had a really hard time getting them to talk to them and mm-hmm. they're like so we met them at an indian restaurant and uh like they did the interview at an indian restaurant and but unfortunately the they're like and to read the full article purchase the magazine i was like sure no, nobody <laughs> scanned this and put it up in the last 10 years i guess not but mm. So I have not read that article, but now I'm like, mm, should I buy this? 
back issue of Decibel just to read the interview. <laughs> I mean, it does seem pretty fascinating. Like, like I said, like I think that that's a, it's like a, I mean, maybe maybe there are bands that are able to do that this this day and age, but certainly, uh, like it seems it, it seems like you know they're they're I mean as kind of. I don't know, it's hard. It's hard for me not to think of them the same way I think of like Fugazi, where it's just like they're principled. They have the things that they do. They do not. They are not interested in any of the like. Okay, well, let's make a press kit. Let's make it this easy. There's like, no, we want to go. We want to play. It's like we're not here to sell shirts. We're here to play music. I think that's like really admirable, and you don't see too many bands do that uh, these days, where it's just like. Where they don't even where they're playing by a whole different set of rules than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like they toured the world, which was amazing too. Like mm-hmm. they were playing literally all over the world, and so clearly it didn't hurt their ability to play music live. You know, mm-hmm. well, it definitely makes. I mean, it definitely makes the case for like, and I I understand the mentality that bands have of needing to do all of the press, do all of the interviews and create content and all of that stuff to try and like get yourself in front of other people Mm -hmm. um and the work that you have to do but it definitely this approach really speaks to like the music can speak for itself like Mm -hmm. if you have a a great record you should be able to just tour on that great record you should be able to send it to the venues and be like hey this is our record it sounds good people have heard it people know who we are book us we'll Mm -hmm. play people will come like i mean you know, early two thousands versus today, like what was the what was the landscape like? I mean, how saturated were those markets and probably was easier to do then, <laughs> but I don't think it's impossible to take some inspiration from this. Adapt definitely it not. for sure, but uh when no, I definitely agree. When was the first when did you first get into tragedy? So I I know for sure the first time I heard tragedy was actually on a G seven welcoming committee uh, podcast with the Chris Hanna from Pro- uh, Propagandi did, uh, and it had conflicting ideas from the second record, uh, Vengeance, on it, and so that was the first time I heard Tragedy, and I, I was just blown away. And uh, I don't know, I just I just hadn't heard like I, I've I'd heard D beat, I'd heard, uh, but uh, I even like you know I listened to Os Rotten and some of the more crusty hardcore type of bands, but uh, definitely not with the same level of like melodic elements with octaves and uh, so that was the first song I heard the first record I bought was Nerve Damage and I think it was just like at the time I was just at, at some record store and saw the Tragedy Records and I'm like this one's the newest I'll get this one um, and so yeah they're, they're a band that like I got pretty into I've still never seen live but I think a lot of that is, you know, like I said, I was uh, like an Appalachian small town punk that needed to drive three hours to get anywhere. So there's so, like most of my favorite bands I've, I've never gotten to see. Um, but, you know, definitely one of those like I've always said that like tragedy is one of the few bands that would bring me out of mosh retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it does remind me, though, that I think tragedy played fest like a couple years ago. And I'm like, huh. That was a bigger deal than I mm-hmm. than I didn't know at the time because it wasn't just them too. I think it was like tragedy and from Ashes Rise like playing 
it was like a full crust day. Yeah. Like they had the Holy Mountain in there. <laughs> like you know, they put like all the crust yeah. bands in together. I wonder if I could find man. You know, fest lineups are hard to find. Like old, <laughs> like yeah. show lineups. You know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I would love because I remember even I think at the time seeing that lineup that day, going, "Whoa, that's a lot of crust bands." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but like, I think one of the. It, and so later tragedy, if you if if you if you've never if you haven't done the deep dive, they definitely start getting, uh, they get a little bit away from like the D beat with the last couple of records. I mean, it's still there, but like the first three records, I think are like, you know, the pioneering emo crust, and then now they're just like a really heavy band that like, I mean, they they sound like tragedy, but they don't feel the need to like, it's not a song until you do the D beats, um, and so I think that's. Uh, definitely pretty cool getting to see them like i mean i mean for for guys who have been like doing that thing since like 96 or something like that i'm like hey this is cool they're like they're they're still like growing as a band and not just doing the same thing over and over which um i think is pretty interesting and cool <laughs> yeah because crust like crust and dbeat like they have these if you want to talk about genres with like rules, like yeah. those are the ones where it's just like, well, you got to sound like this, you know, to be mm-hmm. this type of band. Yeah, there was a period of time where like tragedy clones were all over the country. Like yeah. it, it was like Midwest emo or something where every band had someone who tapped and someone who would play, you know, yeah. uh, some sort of crust, crusty band um, that that was playing in Drop C, um, which like you know, I, I like. Yeah, that, that that was definitely an era, but like I don't know. I mean, I, I have a lot of those records, and they all just sound great. Like even even a bad tragedy clone sounds really sick. <laughs> right, like there's there's because the core of what makes that sound work is just good. So it's like yeah. <laughs> even if it's just derivative, you're like, well, it still rips, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's maybe one note, but it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, on this album specifically, are there some like standout moments for you? Um, I mean, so I definitely get f- super fired up. Uh, like I mean, the 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 album begins with like that long drawn out uh, acoustic guitar intro where they're pretty syncopated and stuff, and then when it just like stops and with it's like uh, I shouldn't do I shouldn't do a tragedy voice, especially because. Like peak the mic but like the condition inside and out and it just like all kicks in it's so heavy um yeah that first song uh like intro into the first song is just like yeah i'm like bedroom moshing i'm every time i love that that song a lot um i like it and the last song it, it, i also really really like uh chemical imbalance um like I feel like the, the the later songs on this record get a little bit more sludgy and and heavy and they're not like so focused on like just playing D beats, um, but like as kind of an aside. So this is something I was I was like I don't know if I should bring this up, but uh, the lyrics uh, for that last song, Chemical Imbalance, it, it, I don't know because I know that y'all grew up around the same time as me, and it's like it, there was definitely a. a this era of hardcore where it was like oh if you're on medication you're you're like 
out of your mind mm. sort of thing. Like, it's, yeah. like, very a- anti-medicine. like You're just going to be a glazed-over zombie. You're going to lose your personality. Um, yeah. And I guess maybe maybe that, that stemmed more from, like, uh, over-prescription of, like, opiates and Ritalin and stuff and kids. But, like, I know that whenever I was growing up, um, this is, the, the, like, the one negative I'll kind of say about the record. But, like, it, it was it's more of just, like, that entire era of hardcore music where the sentiment of, like, anti-medication was one that, like, made me whenever I probably needed, like, <laughs> anti-depressions uh, medication. I was very resistant. I was like, I'm going to be, like, just drooling a total zombie. I'm going to lose all of it. And then, like, I resisted it for far too long. Um, and then when I finally got on, like, Zoloft, I was just like, wait, I could have been, like, just feeling normal, like, this whole time? <laughs> what is going on? I've been lied to by all the great punk bands of this day and age. <laughs> thing like i definitely remember too being like even like in college like my first year of college i was like this i think i you know you had to write articles or like essays and like i remember one subject i wrote was like the over prescription of uh psycho drugs and like i didn't know shit about shit like i don't know anything i didn't know anything about that kind of stuff and i'm just being like 19 years old being like yeah i don't want to i was straight edge too so that probably like yeah yeah also threw that in there being like I'm scared of drugs and uh, don't know what they do. <laughs> but yeah, there was. It was like the stigma of like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you're just gonna be zoned out, zombie drooling. Yeah, that was like a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, co- converts it, dead or dedicated, alive or medicated. It's like, oh, I'm, you're gonna be. A, if you want to feel alive, you can't have medication. Oh my right. god. <laughs> Which to me just implies that like none of them were on anything. <laughs> and that's why they didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot of... I think there was also the counter... There was a countercultural, like, just let people be freaks kind of mentality mm-hmm. and misconception about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, it really goes really far back into punk and just being like, no, like, these people aren't happy. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. not... That, oh, these people are weird and they don't, they just don't fit with society. It's like you're talking about people who are having a lower quality of life. Like you can, yeah, you can be medicated and have a good mental health and like also be like, you know, countercultural and not, yeah, and anti capitalist. Like you can, you can do both of those things. Like, right. Yeah. And I've, what I discovered was like when I, when I started getting that all sorted out, it's like, well, hey, I, I'm more creative because I'm not like just trying to sleep 13 hours a day yeah. because I don't want to 
like because I'm just depressed and have a difficult time getting out of bed. It's like, oh wait, I could I could still play guitar and write cool riffs. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This idea that you have to suffer to make art, or it, it's it is like kind of a thing that mm-hmm. like, well, we have to have our artists suffer, which to me feels like that must be something that came from not other artists, but like society at large or the government being like they can't be happy playing music for a living they should be <laughs> sad making music for a living be <laughs> troubled artists don't be happy because yes. i have to go to a regular job and i'm not happy <laughs> yeah it has to be yeah. a struggle it has to be a terrible lifestyle <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you give people hope that they don't have to work a shitty job <laughs> that they can go and be a creative person and everyone's gonna want to go do that. Then nobody's and gonna be a garbage man or a nobody. plumber. Or <laughs> and the and the thing is, it's like I've thought about this so many times in in recent years, where I'm like, if you paid me a living wage, I would do the dishes. Right? When people say like, oh, who would do the dishes? I'm like, if you capped my hours at like 25, 30 hours a week, and you paid me enough money to pay my rent, I would do dishes. Every single day, I'd be whistling. I, the happiest person in the world. Like I would just do the most menial thing, and then I can go home and I don't think about my job and be creative mm-hmm. on my in my spare time. Like, would love to do that. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, so I will say though, though that like I mean I think that so this is uh, something that maybe isn't interesting. But like okay, so my wife she's she listens to music and no matter what like live or anything she can always she latches onto the lyrics and the in the vocals immediately i've always struggled with that and maybe it might even stem from the fact that most of my most of the stuff i listen to is really abrasive and screaming but like <laughs> even when i even when i listen to something that has a very clear vocal line i've never been able to like i have to really work to hear and understand even the words um because i I hear basically vocalists. I'm just listening for like tonality and like the rhythm of it. Um, and so that's, that's just to say that I'm like, what, you know, even a song like like that chemical imbalance. Like I, I still think I'm like that's a that's a sick sick uh, <laughs> like uh, song. You know, it has that like da 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 da. Like, <laughs> like that's sick. Um, it's a, it's an interesting approach that like follows into. Uh, like Overo, where like Lindsay and I share vocal duties, and she's great at like melodies and like uh, come up with stuff. But I'm always just thinking of, I think of all my vocal parts come from percussives. I'm just trying to think of like what what's an interesting like beat where she's like thinking about like melody and like what words will fit where. And I'm like, you know, just I think in syllables. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've actually said on the show before where I'm like, I'm not a lyrics guy. And I mean that in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, I don't pay attention to what the song is saying. whenever, Even mm-hmm. if I can understand it, I, I just don't pay attention to what the words are actually saying. I, I'm like you, I'm mm-hmm. focused more on the, the tone, the, you know, the how they sing. Like, just, yeah, mm-hmm. just more as an instrument versus uh, mm-hmm. getting a, a message across. Now, I do like reading really good lyrics. Like, I go and read yeah. them, and I want them to be really good and smart, but... Mm-hmm. As far as like, as I sit and listen, I'm not like, wow, I love that line. And I'd be like, what's it? What does it say? I don't know. I didn't hear what, what'd they say? 
and uh, so this isn't a totally unrelated tragedy, but it's just like, uh, like I said, I've taken like I've so I like I got a PhD in creative writing, so like I'm like uh, I've read way too many books of like of poetry and stuff that like it's kind of diff- it, it kind of ruined some song lyrics a lot for me like you know I'll, I'll i'll hear people be like oh yeah like the genius of these lyrics and i'm like there isn't even concrete language it just says <laughs> just, just says like and i'm feeling bad like that's your chorus like <laughs> it's, it's it's all abstract you need a good concrete image to make it uh, to cuz that's what makes good writing <laughs> Yeah, I have a friend who's always he's always mess like I'll tell him like hey I like this album you should check it out and he'll listen to it and message me back he's like these lyrics are atrocious I hate them so much and I'm like what I don't even know what they said in that song I don't know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I notice yeah, good lyrics I don't care about bad lyrics mm-hmm. like it doesn't mean anything it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> what what did y'all think about uh cause I, I think it's like uh. So the end of that first song, when it's like, and they won't have to burn the books because no one reads them anyway. Yeah. Like, everything cuts. It's like, damn, tragedy yeah. going for it. I did like that line because, like, I, <laughs> I actually read the lyrics to the album, too, and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I do actually really like that idea of you won't, the the concept that like, you won't have to burn the books because no one reads them anyway. It's like, yeah, nobody reads <laughs> Nobody pays attention to anything anymore. That's why we're we're at the state we're at right now because mm-hmm. oh, nobody nobody reads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one learns from the mistakes of history. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's probably like hmm, I'm trying to think of like looking at the tracks. Uh, mm-hmm. Which ones are my favorites? The, the point of no return is just like a perfect way to start the record off. Like, yeah, you have to start it that way with an intro too, <laughs> leading into it. But yeah. I think probably my standouts are probably Confessions of a Suicide Advocate. So good. It has this like kind of doomy, sludgy intro to it. Huge drums, pick scrape. Pick scrapes. Ugh, there's so many pick scrapes on this record. I yes. love Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, that's a, that's a big standout track. Really the first, before you get to the first intermezzo, I'm like, mm-hmm. this chunk is perfect. Yeah. And I, I love the uses of the intermezzos on here because there's there's mm-hmm. three of them, two back to back, which yeah. tricked me whenever I was listening to it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's just one intermezzo, and then I saw there were three. I was like, huh? How'd I miss yeah. one? Oh, that's right. <laughs> They're just next to each other. <laughs> um, and then yeah, the back half of the record does a little bit more sludgy. Mm-hmm. It's a little slower, which is was fun to hear too in a crust record because like yeah. You think of Crust as just like fast E beat, but like not every single song on this record has that going on. Yeah, yeah, it's well, like I said, like I, I feel like it's like it's interesting because they were like a band that showed up and like they didn't feel uh, like they they'd done it before where they needed to be all fast all the time or like okay we need to songs need to be over before two minutes or something and they can some songs are longer some songs are shorter having all those like intermezzos. And I, and I don't know. I think this is a, a a record that I think is is really good when you just listen to it as an album rather than like as a track by track type of album where mm-hmm. it's like okay, well, what's the what are the because sta- even when you're like what are the standout tracks and I'm like I'm like usually I just put it on and I'm just like here like <laughs> like I'm I, all of it. I I, I like the, I like the flow of the record even when it's like um, you know the way that the the intermezzos are. Uh, 
these sort of like bridges um, interact with the songs and stuff so that it's not just an unrelenting record start to, to finish. It has room to breathe. Yeah, without the intermezzos, it would it would blur together to a point where you you'd tune out or you'd stop paying attention to what was going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Like it does a good job. It, it it's like almost as if the record is just like three big songs. I think is how, <laughs> how to look at it. You know, <laughs> like yeah, the uh, you know everything up to the first intermezzo is one big song, and then there's what mm-hmm. one two three. Oh, there's four tracks after the second intermezzo or and then you go into the yeah the final two tracks at the end of the record which the final two tracks are like a perfect way to end the album too because they have that mm-hmm. like like chemical imbalance despite its questionable lyrics at this you know yeah. in 2022 um yeah, yeah. <laughs> the it just feels like an ender like a really good closing to a record i mean yeah it, it, ending your record with hell hell is here hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good <laughs> I also, I like that, like, you know, I was talking about, like, uh, you know, certainly, uh, so if I'm looking for, like, good writing, I'm looking for different things, but I love, I love these lyrics for what they are, where it's just, like, you know, just, like, descriptions of war zones, descriptions of, like, it's just so bleak, Uh, you know, yeah, the lyrics pulled up, but it's just, like, you know, we comprise the backbone of this leprous body, of this lifeless form, like... (laughs) It's like full of just really bleak uh, imagery with a lot of dead bodies and like it just looks like a I don't know it's just like it's 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 like it was written by like I don't know a fucking Terminator or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is what John Connor is like playing in in the in the future. That's his band. Yeah. <laughs> All bands of the future are crust punk, crust bands, yeah. and the yeah. Unless you're it's like all a, written by Skynet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where you're like your cyberpunk stuff comes in, yeah, like <laughs> digital grind or whatever you call that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it it. I kept reading that people were like, these are apocalyptic lyrics. And then like going through them, I was like, yeah, it is kind of like that's <laughs> that's the only mode that it really. <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs> I am curious. It's interesting how it immediately, um, speaking of apocalyptic, it's like Mm -hmm. this is the first year of what Bush presidency or post Bush election Mm -hmm. pre 9-11. This is like immediately before we launch into, you know, another unending war. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never read other tragedy record lyrics. I wonder if they do get like more specific with their their takes. I... (sighs) Like I said, I I don't I remember them being more like this. Uh, there's like this behind enemy lines, which is uh, like post Os Rotten tragedy clone, um, and they're incredible, but they're very much a like you know, and George Bush, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it, like they ha- like that's like uh, their their whole mo, um, which is interesting because I think they're still a band that sometimes plays shows, but they haven't. Re- written anything um or at least recorded anything uh post the bush presidency uh <laughs> so it's like okay uh but yeah it's it, it's, it's very interesting because i don't know it, like going back and like consuming media from like uh you know early 2000s is very i find it real fascinating to like see like a 
um, like Battlestar Galactica, for example, and it's like, oh, this is very much a war on terrorism allegory, and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and like noticing that and how it how it hits in what speaking to in different ways, and even just uh, John Stewart kind of coming back with that new Apple uh, TV show. I'm like, it feels very different to see like these uh like figures that i so associate with you know my coming of age during a really a a very divisive time that's also very different like you know uh, than uh, like in some ways is probably it was probably better back then but it doesn't feel like it (laughs) yeah um yeah i know what you mean like there's the the energy is very different like if you go back and mm-hmm. look at that kind of stuff like mm-hmm. i remember watching oh what are the the the, uh, the Catherine bigelow movies like hurt locker and then right after that she did zero dark 30 and i remember seeing them years after they'd been made like after they'd come out so i was just watching them later and just being like man this is weird weird to be in this like <laughs> this feeling where like most of America was okay with it. You know, what was going on? And mm-hmm. it's just like, ah, God. I mean, all the punks I knew back then were like, fuck George Bush, but they weren't really like going into like the <laughs> the specifics yeah. and the details. I mean, like, no, this is what he's doing. Like, you know. Yeah. I think that the, I think it will always be relevant to talk about the Bush presidency and the war on terror and, and, in a, through a, from a critical lens, I think it, I think it'll always be valid to say like this is specifically what was so fucked up about that time period mm-hmm. and and criticizing it. I think what has not aged well from a lot of the you know the Rock Against Bush and like the John Stewart Daily Show you know kind of coverage of of all of that is that there was. I think, and I think this is maybe what what is the difference between then and what is the difference between like political commentary now is that then there was still hope. <laughs> maybe <laughs> there was yeah. there was a like we can we can just tear down this one this one guy. Yeah, like we can just take down this one guy and we'll be back on track. Like, mm. which is not aged well because like what did we then proceed to do for eight years? Nothing. Yeah, and yeah. then take another step back mm-hmm. with Trump, and then it, now it's just like, well, this is going to be the struggle for the rest of our lives, and <laughs> yeah, and and tragedy has, oh, uh, you know, twenty two years ago had that hopelessness already ground into us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that uh, well, you know, pure anti consumerist, pure like anti war, uh, you know, I mean, confessions of a suicide advocate. I mean, the whole thing. You, uh, what is it? Uh, suicide is not an option. It's illegal and punishable by death. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. It is. It, it is. I guess I'd like to know like more about them as individuals. Like, what are they doing in their free time? Like, what is their like their reading like? Are they just like, oh yeah, I only read radical literature, or are they Maybe. just like, no, nah, the world's fucked, <laughs> like that kind of. <laughs> I, I, w- I want it both ways. I want them to yeah. both be uh, like as intense as I as as I want them to be, but then also, you know, I, I remember there being I I was never super into this band, but like uh 
the basis for Perfect Future was really into weekend nachos. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, like, he, he, I mean, he read, like, every interview, watched everything. And he was, like, saying, talking about how the guy from Weekend Nachos was, like, yeah, it's, like, all these bands pretend like they don't go to brunch. It's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, you know the guys from Tragedy at some point, just, like, having a vegan barbecue or whatever. <laughs> maybe you're, maybe not vegan. I don't know. What, I don't know what their diet is. Like, it's, like, they're, they're probably having, you know, you know, maybe they went to a soccer game or something. <laughs> yeah, they're they're bound to have, like, some of them at least are bound to have family and kids, so it's not like yeah, they they didn't stay, you know, screen print shop owners their whole lives, you know. Like, yeah, uh, I'm still a server I, at a vegan restaurant. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they are. Like, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I want it both ways. I want them to right. have, I want them to be angry and pissed all the time, but also have moments of joy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess, too, like, the idea of them just, like, not ever really sharing a lot about themselves, it makes it even more likely to be, like, they could be just, like, super normal. Or then they could also be, like, you know, super mainstream. I mean, I don't know. This type of lyric and lifestyle, they're not necessarily going to be mainstream. But, like, yeah, if you saw... Maybe they might like Spider-Man. Yeah. You know? See, that's it. I'm sure they've seen some of the Marvel movies, you know. (laughs) But then you also want them to be like, no, they only they still live in a squat and they uh, they dumpster dive yeah. for all their food and belongings. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> and they get to have that like kind of Schrodinger's cat sort of like existence where we're like, it's both. They they have yeah. both. <laughs> he, he drives a sensible car, but uh, all of his clothes were free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts on the record? Um, I guess the only other saw, I mean, I, I, like, I, I've been listening to this record over and over and over again, just because I was like, it, to first to, cause I said, I took this very serious. What, what's my favorite <laughs> album from 2000? <laughs> what's the perfect one? Um, but I still think that probably, uh, Vengeance, the second record is the one that I like is the one I'm more likely to reach for most of the time. Um, so yeah, just incredible band all around. Yeah, I, I look. I usually try and look and see what like the general sort of like what's the more popular record, mm-hmm. and everything I I saw showed that like the second record is probably the more popular one, the one that people go to the most. Yeah, um, the first song on that one, conflicting ideas. If that's if there's one that people want, if they liked the uh, what what you got from this one, um, but wanted the same vibe but just slightly better conflicting ideas that's a that's my that's that's the song <laughs> that's the one that will bring me out of mosh retirement yeah <laughs> <laughs> well cool um well thank you so much for doing the show uh, this is a lot of fun talking about this record yeah thank you and uh we'll wrap up with your uh where should people find the band follow everybody all that good stuff yeah so uh overos uh you know I mean, we're we're pretty much on all the places. Uh, we're a little bit more active on Instagram than on Facebook and stuff. And but like Bandcamp, you can find us uh, all everything there. Same with any of the streaming services. Uh, it only ends once is kind of the, the same. Less so on Instagram. 
I don't really promote that one as much because it's a different vibe, but it's all on Bandcamp and Spotify, Apple, uh, like any Apple Music, mm-hmm. wherever you wherever you stream, you'll find the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all the usual stuff. I'll make yeah. sure to include all of that in the show notes as well. And uh... yeah, oh, you can buy all, all the records from the labels or directly from us. But uh, maybe the labels—they're better at mail order than we are because they're. <laughs> They're going all the time. Yeah. To the, the yeah the your post office. Your copies are more to sell at the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything to look out for show wise? Yeah, we're actually playing our record release show for um, next uh, next Saturday, and then we're gonna we have a run of Texas shows coming up in uh, in in June as well. Um, starting to book a few things in August and like. Uh, yeah, we're mostly, we're mostly looking at stuff, uh, in or around Texas for the summer and then tentative plans for maybe something happening, uh, next year. Um, but yeah, just, just jobs and stuff where we are not in a, we're not in a, there's no intention right now to do the, the big perfect future 60 day tour or something like that. Well, that's perfect because, uh, this episode will go up, uh, literally the wednesday before the record release show so excellent if if you're in the texas area i mean texas is gigantic but yeah (laughs) hey and that that show's gonna be there's no cover as well so if you're in houston go for it (laughs) yeah well cool well thank you so much again for doing the show thanks